whether I go into that valley to face a personal issue or I enter that dark valley to be with someone else who is struggling, I go with God. Both of these uh, readings uh, we heard this morning have something to say about faith. And uh, that might sound odd. You're, you're thinking, Dark Chad, that's pretty much what we're always talking about here in church, isn't it? The apostles said to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. Uh, we, have, we have this much, but we're, it looks like we're going to need this much, Lord. Please increase our faith. And most of us, if I asked, uh, is this a, a something that you would hope for, wish for, ask for, probably say, yeah, I would like for my faith to be increased. But you, know, you can't really quantify faith, can you? can't really be measured or, or weighed or tested in a meaningful way. Although the effort to do precisely that uh, is popular with large studies focused on the religious faith of Americans uh, rolling out year after year. A few years ago, the Pew Forum on Religious Life did a study that was simply entitled Basic Religious Test. And you know, one of the things that uh, they discovered was that only about 50% of all Protestants, people who identify as Protestant Christians, only about half of them uh, were able to answer the question, who was it who was most responsible for the beginning of the Protestant Reformation? Which I'm hoping more than 50% of you in this room know was Martin Luther, right? Well, Lord, increase our, our faith. Uh, uh, Jesus makes it clear, though, uh, as we consider asking for that, that faith is hard stuff. It's difficult. If one wants to be a follower of Jesus, if one wants to be a disciple, Jesus suggests that we ought to count the cost. The investment is uh, significant. There's more than a little bit of risk involved. So you better consider the sacrifice. Jesus will say things like, pick up your cross and follow me. So it's no wonder that the disciples come asking for greater faith. After hearing on so many occasions about the high expectations, the followers of Jesus ask for a bigger, stronger faith. So I wonder on this lovely October morning when the sun has finally come out and you sit here and worship together, I wonder if, if I sat down with you over a cup of coffee and asked you, how do you feel about your own faith? How you would respond? In his letter to Timothy, Paul reminds us that faith is not something that we do alone. We are about to share in the Holy Communion. This is a communal meal. This is a community of faith in Christ. Paul writes to encourage Timothy in the faith. and He reminds Timothy of the faith of his, of his mother and of his grandmother who nurtured his own, his own faith. I am reminded of your sincere faith, Paul writes, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and now I am sure lives in you. It's just lovely, isn't it? It's so familial. I think of my mom Judy. I think of my grandmother Carmen. Maybe you have people who come to mind who have nurtured your faith as Katie was drawing out of the kids this morning. One of the reasons we come together and worship each week is to encourage each other in faith. 
I can't even begin to tell you how encouraging it is to me personally. Uh, every week, week after week, that, that folks get themselves together out of the house and make their way over here to worship. Your presence is a blessing to me. It's a blessing to those around you. I know only too well that there are those uh, here at worship this morning who are grieving, who are struggling, who are suffering, who are fearful. There are others who are joyful, who are grateful. And we are called together to be a support, to support one another in, in these joys and sorrows. And we talk a lot around here about how important the family is in helping to form the faith of our children and our, our youth. Faith is a, a living gift given to us by Christ and, and shared through all of those people who have nurtured our faith along the way, shared their faith with us. So faith is always communal. It's, it's always shared as, as we stand and depend as much on the faith of those around us as we do on our, own, on our own. In our baptisms, most of us, certainly not all of us, but most of us were brought forward to receive this precious gift to be claimed as God's own child, to receive these promises. Most of us were carried forward by the love and faith of our family. Happened for me as a baby uh, at a Lutheran church in South Minneapolis. And years later, maybe we complete confirmation, we stand in front of the congregation and we affirm our own baptisms. That is not to say that we activate them. Okay, now I'm old enough to know better, so yes, I do activate that baptism that I received long before I knew anything about it, long before I could profess any sort of faith of my own. No. No, we, we, we stand to say thank you for the gift that has always been there, active and real, and holding us in the grace of Christ all along the way. Paul continues, For this reason I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. I've always just loved this verse. Spirit of power and love. That's what we walk around with. Not a spirit of cowardice. When I am called to walk straight into the valley of the shadow of death, I go with more than my own faith. I go with more than my own abilities or confidence or goodness. Whether I go into that valley to face a personal issue or I enter that dark valley to be with someone else, who is struggling, I go with God, as do you. And I cannot tell you how many times over the years the truth of this verse has been borne out. We go not with a spirit of cowardice, but a spirit, a spirit of power and of love. Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel Relying on the power of God. There it is again. Relying on the power of God. And what's this business about not being ashamed? I mean, we get that Paul and the followers of Jesus were perceived as a threat to the empire, calling someone Lord other than Caesar is dangerous business in, in first century Palestine. What about us? Is Paul's advice to not be ashamed? Is that something we still need to hear? 
I mean, most of you have friends or family that know you are at church this morning. You didn't sneak out of the house under the cover of darkness. You weren't ashamed that people know I'm, I'm going to church today. On the other hand, I, I was thinking in my own life, I, uh, during the latter part of high school and throughout all of college and even beyond college into graduate school at seminary, on the, in the summers I worked at a resort in northern Minnesota, and uh, you can imagine the context, uh, uh, dozens and dozens of college-age students descending on this lakeside resort for the summer to work in various jobs on the property. It had more than a little bit of the kind of caddyshack atmosphere to it. A lot of fun and partying, and I was in the mix there with all of that, right? Along the way, I had done a, an internship in Florida, and I had gotten involved with the community of faith, and I will say that while I was there, I was thinking through this, this Christian faith I, uh, that I'd long considered my own, and, and I will say that in that community, my faith was rekindled. Paul uses that word. I think it's a good word. I want to I take it back and use it some more. Uh, my faith was rekindled. Kindled, And so when I, the summer rolled around that year and I got back at the resort and all the kids showed back up and we were back in the mix together, I decided that I thought it would be, a, I would like to uh, start a Bible study. This came as surprising news to everybody who knew me, you know. Uh, and I, there was a little bit of, you know, I felt a little bit, you know, embarrassed about it, I guess. Certainly, I was not at risk. There was no threat. There was no danger. But there was some, you know, some hesitation on my part. But sure enough, people, other people said, yeah, that's great. And we had a little group. We had a little community of people who gathered and looked at texts like those we have before us this morning. It was a blessing. We do faith together. We're called together. Uh, God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The stakes are high. The gift is nothing less than the greatest treasure ever known. The gospel is so much more than the power of positive thinking or some kind of power grab or, or, or some kind of pep talk or, or some scheme that lends itself toward prosperity. We are sent in the valley with a gospel that abolishes death and brings life and immortality to light. But for this gospel... I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher, and for this reason, I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. So I want to say to you this morning, as I've asked you to sit there and pause and consider your own faith, that you also have been appointed a herald, someone to bring this good news out into the world, where you work, where you live, where you play, and uh, you do this in the very way that you live your life. You also 
are an apostle, that is, one who has been sent into all of those places, and you also are a teacher in your own unique way. Maybe here at church, certainly among your family, even with yourself. This is not a demand. It is not a test of some kind. It is a precious gift which is empowered by knowing the one in whom you place your trust. Could any gift its giver's loss atone or joy be sure except its source be known? And so this passage finishes with a bang. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living among us. Guard the good treasure. You are a herald. You are an apostle, one sent. You are a teacher. You have been chosen. You have been claimed. You have been forgiven. You have the good treasure. So you've been given spirit, not of cowardice, but of power and love. And combined with the gospel that abolishes death and brings life and immortality to light. This is what you leave here with this morning. This ought to be enough. Enough for you and enough to change the world. Uh, as we cling to these promises, the faith is so often sold to us as a set of uh, tests and requirements and warnings. But the gospel cannot be any of those things. The gospel is this gift of a spirit, not of cowardice, but of power and love. And it sends us out with good news, which abolishes death and brings life and immortality to light. This goes with you everywhere you go this week. It goes with you to work. It goes with you home. It goes with you to school. It goes everywhere you go. Uh, and so go in peace. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.